0: Hello, my name is Patricia Rozwora, and you're listening to Kitchen Conversations. This podcast aims to open up the mysterious and vague Eastern Bloc to a broader audience. For each episode, I'm inviting one artist or researcher, and together we explore their relation, interest, and urgency to create within the framework of the post-Soviet sphere. Here, I also wanted to thank everyone for listening and supporting this podcast. It's very rewarding to see that with every episode, the community is growing, which was of course the whole point of this platform. If you are a regular listener, you might want to check out my Patreon page, where you can support my work and help me develop this amazing but time-consuming project. You can do that on patreon.com slash kitchenconversations. Today I'm speaking to Ola Korbańska, a visual artist and designer, from Poznan, Poland. Ola graduated from the School of Form in Poznan and the Design Academy in Eindhoven. Using various media such as design, written text and illustration, Ola inquires about the nature of objects in the context of temporality and perception. During our talk, we discussed her recent works Purity is Temporary, Gentle Protest and The Sixth Fuck all of them dealing with the process of transformation, change, silent protest, and resistance. The recurring subject in our conversation is also the women liberation movement taking place in Poland since 2016, to which Ola very much relates to in her artistic practice. Please welcome Ola Korbańsk. So welcome, Ola, to Kitchen Conversations. Thank you. Is it Ola or Alexandra, actually?
1: It's Ola. I mean, in my idea, it's Alexandra officially, but I,
0: I never use it. Yeah, I so saw also on your website it's Ola, so I was like, I guess it's Ola then. Yeah. <laughs> How is the mood uh, in Poland? You're now in Poznań, right? Uh, yes, I am in Poznań. I think
1: it's rather gloomy because of the gloomy weather. Everyone is expecting beers outside. It might happen in two weeks. So there is a huge excitement on
0: that. Yeah, otherwise, um, I think quite boring. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) the same here also like people really want to do stuff outside. But yeah, it's a bit slow with the summer weather. Anyways, uh, yeah, I I came across your work in the Kayad journal, I think, the first time. You wrote uh, for the third issue, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I wanted to write you already for quite some time to invite you to this podcast. So super happy that finally we can do it. Actually, we are physically not so far away from each other, but still there's a border there. So yeah, we are meeting again online, not in real life. Yeah, it's uh, really nice to to be here <laughs> with you. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, I think because of the um, current situation in Poland or like the growing tensions uh, with the government kind of arising already last year, I thought the topics you work with and your practice would kind of resonate well uh, with the situation Um, in Poland and other, I think, Eastern European countries. And we will speak about protests and resistance and so on. I'm very curious what will come out uh, from the discussion. And yeah, I would like to, I think, start uh, with your graduation work. You graduated from the Eindhoven Design Academy. Mm -hmm. And you graduated with a work uh, titled Purity is Temporary. And that was in 2018 a very intriguing work for me it's consists for, of an installation and a performance or like a video performance uh, i hope you will tell us everything about it but yeah maybe let's start like how did it begin that you started thinking about protest and resistance through purity
1: mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so just to make things clear because i think it's not uh, it's not really obvious but the the project was consi- consisting on cleaning cloths which i sewed together and it was a huge banners three of them and then i also created a video with uh, with a performance for which i came to poznan to my hometown to record it and i was cleaning the significant public spaces in the city uh, i think the origin of the project is very personal because during two years of uh, my master's studies, I was also uh, a cleaning lady. So that was my job in the morning. And then after this, I was going to school um, and somehow we even made this job with my friend who was also cleaning with me that perhaps we will graduate with, with a project <laughs> about cleaning because we spent so much time and energy on on this and at the end that that was actually true so i during these two years i had a lot of observations and, and experience on the on the action of cleaning experience i mean um, not that i was very good at it but experience <laughs> in a way that i that i really understood this action but also from a social perspective because i think it's still an occupation really much related to the to the hierarchy and and it's somehow very low in that hierarchy of uh, of all occupations and that was that was also very somehow visible for me as a cleaning lady and then somehow I connected it with the protests, which started in Poland in 2016, I believe. and it was called the uh, Black Protests, and it was protests against violation of women's rights, uh, mostly uh, of course, subject of abortion, but it somehow escalated into lots of uh, subjects related to women. And I was back then in Eindhoven, so I could only watch it uh, via internet or TV or radio. And it was really intense. The protests were huge. And I saw pictures of women on the streets who were using the, the objects related to so-called traditional housewives or like related to kitchen and cleaning as a props on the, uh, during the protests. So somehow frying pans or uh, gloves, these rubber gloves, they become, yeah, they become tools of resistance Yeah. And that's somehow, these two things connected at some point. And I thought that it's a good starting point. It just makes sense to to connect it this way.
0: Mm-hmm. Coming back uh, a little bit to, to the job you did, I'm curious, uh, was it like in a hotel or was it a private household or a restaurant? It was in a restaurant, yeah. And... Um, the job was really easy
1: in a way that, um, like during the week, I was coming there at 7 o'clock in the morning. So that was, <laughs> that was the hard part to wake up so early. And then I just had to clean the, the room of a restaurant and the toilets. And that was it. But the restaurant was quite, quite big and sometimes they were organizing some parties and that was the the harder part because then it was like sticky floors, beer everywhere. Also outside, sometimes some uh, barbecue parties. So that was uh, so weekends were intense. But somehow there is something really meditative in a, in the act of cleaning. So um, going to to school after this was okay in a way that I was I was completely calm and relaxed. It was like yoga. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. I also um read somewhere in your text that this was a moment where also no one was there in the restaurant so you were kind of by yourself or maybe with some of your uh, co-workers and uh, yeah. yeah that's kind of this invisible job that like you do before people actually come to inhabit the space and use it. It seems also yeah, like an important part as well mm-hmm. in your
1: project, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And, and at first it's invisible in a sense that that really no one was there. So maybe I met like one or two people, like first waiter or something like this. But so somehow for these people who work there, they were just coming to the clean space. They were living it dirty and then somehow magically it was it was clean in the morning again. So in this sense, it was the invisible, but also invisible in a way how how you are somehow treated as a, as a cleaning person. And I realized this, that I also do this sometimes, there is this awkward moment when you see people cleaning that you don't really know how to react or if you should greet them or if you should uh, completely ignore them and let them do their work. So that was a very, very strong experience in, on the social level, which I, which I never really before uh, experienced. But mm-hmm. I guess that's also crucial for this uh, invisibility of cleaning people.
0: Definitely. I find it so uh, interesting that, yeah, I guess a lot of artists do it because we just take casual every day and turn it into interesting art. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I find it super nice that you connected those things. And yeah, it reads very well into, of course, the sociopolitical history Situation also of Polish women and how our yeah. rights are being compromised.
1: But that's why I think also going outside and going to the city with this performance and cleaning the the spaces of the city uh, was also a strong point of this work because this this really invisible and really domestic action, which is normally hidden in in the four wall- walls of of a house or of uh, of, of buildings, somehow. Went outside and became visible and became important because of this. That was also a very strong statement to make it visible and to make it also valid.
0: So, during this performance, you clean important spaces in Poznań, in your hometown in Poland, mm-hmm. and you use a bucket of water and a rug to clean the surfaces of historic, important uh, buildings. So, we already kind of uh, talked about why you did in public space to kind of make the invisible be the visible, right? But mm-hmm. why did you choose to to clean those kind of historically charged monuments or buildings?
1: Yeah, I think this was really a crucial part of the whole video to really pick the places which are related in my point of view to women's situation in society. I wouldn't say places which are responsible for this, but somehow places which are a symbol of, of a state of things which in which we are. Patriarchal state. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's call it. <laughs> yeah, let's call it. That's true. Yeah, so I've chosen the public square, which is a place of gatherings and place of also of these black protests. And in general, it's this arena for social events. Uh, then I've chosen Catholic church or a building of a Catholic church, which uh, in Poland still plays a very strong role in, or they have like a very strong opinion on how women should uh, use their bodies or treat their bodies or what should they do with, uh, with themselves. So that was like an obvious choice for me. Uh, then I've chosen monument of fallen soldiers, which, uh, and this particular one, in my city has a very like sharp and strong architecture visually it's really pointy and really aggressive and it's also very big one so in this sense this is it was this essence of masculinity which takes a lot of space in the in the city and and it's just really aggressive. So that was this one. And then a uh, governmental building. Of course, it wasn't the government because I was in Poznan, not in Warsaw. But I, I just decided to choose the the place which represents power, the idea of power. And the funny anecdote there was that I started to clean just in front of like the stairs, few stairs just in front of the entrance of the place. And then the, the guard came out and he told me that I'm not allowed to do this. And I said, yeah, but I'm just cleaning. I, I just have a cloth and it's a clean water. There is nothing inside. There is not even any detergent. It's just water. But he said, no, if, if you want to do anything in this area, you have, to, you have to come with an official letter. You have to send an official letter and you have to uh, ask for permission for this which I found also, <laughs> also quite oppressive and quite funny in a way. So I just went like a few meters away, like seven meters away, and that was, uh, that was already okay with the guy. And then the last one, I mean, because I made a lot of these videos, but that was the final selection. And the, the, the last one is a sculpture of a, of a gymnastic lady. It's in a park, so it's a bit hidden in the trees and the form is really soft she's really gentle and uh, she looks like a ballerina it's uh, it's uh, she's also somehow really delicate in a way
0: how did the people react actually so apart from this one guard did people actually see you did they ask what are you doing did they maybe take pictures or actually no that was what i was predicting
1: in a way, because I knew that already from my job that this is an invisible work and that I probably will be invisible. And I thought maybe some people will ask me, but actually not no one, like literally no person at all asked what am I doing, even though there was my friend or my father who was with the camera a few meters away so people could see that something is happening. Um, There was only this one incident with police I was cleaning the monument, some other monument, and it's really in the city center, like street center of the city. And then they were passing by in this big car and they just slowed down, almost stopping, and and they were looking at me for some time. And then they just drove away. And I found it so interesting this this incident and that I think was the time when I realized how strong uh, this action could be because if you for instance paint the monument or if you use the or if you are on rollerblades or I don't know skateboard this is uh, this is already violation of law and you, you cannot do it they, they, you could just get a fine for this But because it's cleaning and this is and cleaning is about taking care of things and being gentle in a way. Yeah, they didn't react. And that was funny because in my brain I was protesting and I was against the state. But for them, like from their point of view, I was just a girl, I don't know, cleaning and taking care of of a big monument in the city. So that was really ironic. But but I think that this was super strong experience also for the whole idea of a
0: work. Yeah, I guess also art has this potential since for some people, if it's just art, it's not maybe dangerous or it's not activism. But of course, we know art is activism, right? But perhaps mm-hmm. for some other people, it doesn't look this way. So in that way, you can kind of fit into this gap and through your art, actually protest. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I
1: I assume that they didn't really thought of it as an art, in a way. That that's that's at least what I think. That these policemen just saw a girl cleaning a, a thing. Of course, there was a camera, so that that was the tricky part. But but yeah, this action is so normal and so everyday life thing that maybe that's that's where the strength is.
0: Yeah, I think so. Definitely. And you decided to take out the sound from the video. That was quite intriguing to me because obviously if you're in public space, there's all these cars, you're often next to like very busy roads. But since the sound is not there, it seems like a kind of ritual meditative state and also the visual is black and white. So that adds to this kind of aesthetics. Can you speak a little bit about those decisions? The black and white idea
1: was was somehow clear to me that it, it should be like this um, to fit in the aesthetics of the rugs themselves, which were also somehow gray and white from, the, from dirt and then white as clean parts. And for the sound, I don't think I had any conscious decision on it. I think I just for graduation I just used the these um, these screens and I thought that that the sound will not add anything to the value of it that the image itself is enough to to participate or to to understand the work.
0: Yeah, for me, I think the choice of like not using the sound or like the silence is actually really strong. So yeah, as you say, perhaps the sound would it add, but like the silence or like the gesture of taking out this noise of the city somehow really adds this kind of ritual feeling and that we watch something unique, you know, something special, not just an everyday observation in the public space. Yeah, that's that's nice to hear. It's just my interpretation. <laughs> I love interpreting things. No no, that's,
1: no, no, but I think you are right in a way that, because I remember there was also on this uh, recording some like voice of my friend or of my father, like, could you do it a bit more right? Or like... This kind yeah. of stuff. So then I thought backstage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, and that was uh, totally not uh, not necessary. Yeah.
0: Mm. And then you mentioned few times already this rags, apart from the video. You also had the installation with three banners. Mm-hmm. And the interesting I think, or like the cool part, uh, is that you used dirt or like dust for, for as a dyeing material. Mm-hmm. And Tia, yeah, where did you collect this? Was it like a Dutch dust or was it a Polish dust?
1: <laughs> yes, I will reveal the truth. And uh, <laughs> the dust was, uh, was Dutch uh, <laughs> only because I, <laughs> I was living there and I just had to make the project on time and I couldn't really uh, go to Poland to collect the Polish dust. So I came to Poland only for a few days to make the video. But the story of rugs themselves... It's maybe quite funny because it was I bought them in uh, in action, which is this well-known cheap shop in Netherlands, and each of them uh, costed like literally 40 cents or something. So I was laughing that that I probably produced the cheapest graduation project ever in the history of design academy Eindhoven.
0: Amazing.
1: And um, I also have this anecdote about my house and and the washing machine, which my mom bought on the internet. And before we bought it, three times we were measuring the door and it's supposed to fit. And we were super happy. We we bought the new washing machine and then the machine came. Uh, My mom opened the door and the guys were supposed to plug it in and then... They realized that it's too big for the for the door and it will not fit there that they will just leave it in the in the corridor and they they did and they left so my parents decided to just use a knife <laughs> and uh, cut a piece of the uh, door frame so the machine could fit and I yeah. think that was this really i don't want to say it, but but I will. That it's this <laughs> Polish attitude of of doing things uh, on the spot and not necessarily with proper tools, just using your imagination. Of course, uh, the door frame was damaged, but at least we achieved the goal. <laughs> and I think it was similar with this uh, project. That somehow it wasn't really important for the materials to be expensive or for the for the project to be really well done but i think the concept was the was the strongest part of it
0: definitely yeah <laughs> yeah and using the the dust as the kind of dying material that's also yeah i mean dust is everywhere you just have to collect it i guess we yeah. collect it every day no yeah exactly and can you uh, speak a little bit about the slogan so like the you had three banners like the tapestry where you used the dust uh, to write different slogans and mm-hmm. yeah let's let's talk about uh, those slogans and what they mean for you At first I created the one which which said
1: no women no cry and cry uh, written in Polish it means country it was of course a reference to uh, to the song of Bob Marley, but but this particular one was taken from the protest banners. So it's not my idea, but I saw it somewhere. I saw a picture on the internet and I thought that this is so powerful and funny. Catchy strong. Yeah. Uh, yeah yeah. Yeah, and catchy at the same time, exactly, that I decided to use this one. Then I made actually the other one, which at the end was not part of the whole project. And it was finally a woman on her right place. And that was a quote from my friend who saw me once cleaning the kitchen and he he commented <laughs> in such a way. Was this a joke? Uh, or? I think for him it was a joke, but it was this kind of joke which... Which is funny only for for the person saying it. So yeah. <laughs> so that was the second one, but but at the end I didn't use it. I didn't like the how it looked and the quality because I also used a different rug. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second one from the collection was "Purity is Temporary," which is also the title of the whole work, and it referred to this really repetitive action of cleaning and somehow. This fragile state of things being clean. and because I had to, I was going to work every day to clean, so I could really see this cycle of dirty, clean, dirty, clean. like uh, at some point, I just thought that this is that actually life is about this, that, that this is how <laughs> this is how the planet goes, you know, like things go dirty and then they go clean. But I also consciously used the word purity instead of the word clean or or any other word because that was the word with which women are often described or virginity is often described. Of course in a patriarchal way. And, and I think this is this strong concept which they are trying to push, but which is not necessarily important for women in general. So that was that was the, the conscious uh, choice to use the word purity. And then the last one, the last banner was time to change the water. And that was referring to just changing a water. So this was the, the very, like this very pragmatic statement Referring to to the act of cleaning. But then I realized that it also can be seen, of course, in a metaphorical way. So changing the water as trying to change the state of things or changing the old systems or old uh, patriarchal philosophy. So this, it started as a very pragmatic one, but then I realized that it's also very strong on this uh, metaphorical level.
0: Yeah, definitely. And actually... Again, here my interpretation, <laughs> but no, no, uh, go on. I had to think about more like ecological actions or activism to also change the way we treat our planet and our water. And yeah. I, I somehow had to think through that. And also, since yeah, feminism and yeah, women's struggles uh, can mm-hmm. be all seen kind of intersectionally. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, think this
1: one w- was the most open for interpretation but about banners there is also one uh, detail my big inspiration to make them were this i think like 16th century what's the name arase wait tapestry Mm-hmm. which are hanging in the in a castle in Krakow in Poland and it's this national treasure and it was actually tapestry which was made in uh, Antwerp but also in the Netherlands back then so in the similar area very characteristic thing for this uh, for this tapestry is that they have this sort of frame around the so there is a scene in the center like most of them like biblical scenes or scenes from the mythology but then around there is a there is a frame with some plants or some flowers so i also used this frame in a relation to this tapestry i'm not sure if it's visible for viewers I mean, when, once I saw this piece to my Polish friends, they could immediately see the reference, but no one from from the other countries really responded to this. So this is some sort of hidden... <laughs> yeah, Insights. Hidden reference, yeah. Is it kind of like this folkloric patterns? Does it no, come it's, it's all, all of them, all of this uh, tapestry, which are in, in this castle in Wawel in Krakow, it's really sophisticated and it's, it's expensive with some silk and gold and it's, it's something really, it's, it's totally not, <laughs> it's the opposite of folklore in a way that it, it was made for kings and it was
0: something really royal, I would say. Yeah, I like that you kind of turned that around. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious why or like what is your thoughts behind those gentle Protests and why do you decide to, to be a gentle protester than perhaps a more into-the-face protester? I think the,
1: the big part of it is that during this protest in Poland, I was in the Netherlands, so somehow I couldn't participate in a real protest and standing with people together in one crowd and shouting and being aggressive and being... Angry with my friends, also from Poland, we decided to collect the signatures against this uh, governmental idea. So that was that we could do, being there. But but I guess that was my way on um, on protesting from far away, <laughs> but also making this subject visible in um, like outside Poland, which I think I really succeed because during Dutch Design Week where the the piece was exhibited, I got a lot of comments, mostly from women. And I could see that people were really touched by this work and that they could also really relate to this problem, even though in Netherlands, women's rights are way uh, more developed, I would say. But there is also something, I think, in my nature to not be aggressive or to not take all the attention or to not destroy so i think that was that was something which was stopping me also from from making something more violent this is who i am my teachers told me that maybe i should create a, an image of a massive vagina or <laughs> go to polish government and uh, go inside and clean it or go outside and clean it but but that for me um yeah, maybe it, it would be a great idea as a, as a performative action, but but I, I just didn't have courage to do this.
0: And it's just not my style, I would say. Yeah, I like that you kind of found your own way. And I guess it's also a great example for all people who, who say like, yeah, I'm not an activist or like not everyone should be activists. Everyone can kind of show their opinion and position in their own way and i think you really succeeded in that and i think i hope you gave example to a lot of those people <laughs> yeah i i hope so too and i
1: think because now i wh- when i came to poland there were also protests and and it was it was just obvious that you go there you have you have a banner which you make and it's also way easier to be aggressive or not, not even aggressive but to be more Strict or to have more courage once you are together with a crowd, you know you somehow disappear in a crowd, and also responsibility is somehow more blurred in these events. but if you are alone and you really try to achieve something, then I think this gentle way was was a key to success, or like that's just made sense for me to
0: be yeah to to be more wise than than aggressive, let's say. Mm -hmm. Around the time when you came back, so you finished your studies in Eindhoven and then you moved back uh, to Poznań. And that, of course, was like the peak of the demonstrations uh, where the abortion law got like very much cut, which was already very, very strict in Poland. And now it's basically impossible to get a safe abortion and mm-hmm. then you were yeah part of part of those protests and another work of yours emerged or like it emerged also a bit before but then it kind of transformed mm-hmm. and here i'm talking about the the finger or the six fuck i'm not sure like what's the <laughs> official title the six fuck is the official title i'm i'm
1: sorry that we have to swear now <laughs> but <laughs> but that's just the
0: subject of a work and that's the name
1: of the work also so our apologies.
0: <laughs> and then it started in a quite um, domestic environment, right? Just like among your friends, you were doing uh, some fun evening activities. And Yeah, exactly.
1: I was visiting my brother in Copenhagen and my friend Leticia Despina, who is a poet, by the way, she brought Henna to make this instant tattoos and like for which hold on your hand for, I don't know, like two weeks or something. So we just started to make them. And then she asked me to to draw for her a six-fuck. And then she explained that she accidentally created it one day because she, she just drew one finger too much. So I drew it on her hand, then I drew it on my hand, and the evening went well. But... You had fun, and after, <laughs> yeah. We had a lot of fun, I have to say. But then I came back to Netherlands, and the tattoos were still on my hand. And somehow I, I started to think about this symbol a lot, and how it is. Um, it also somehow blurs the responsibility in a way because if there is no middle finger in six, then then it's it's not a bad gesture, which of course is somehow i was just lying to myself because that's <laughs> that's obviously <laughs> that was obviously um just a way to to avoid some bad comments but yeah that's that's how it started it's all all thanks to Letitia, but but i think i took it to some next level and uh, i just started to think about it a lot
0: and you wrote a text about it right it's also I think uh, in the Kayet, uh digital Kayat uh, journal but online. Um, yes. I really love the image also it's great. But then the sixth fuck uh, actually turned into the real middle finger and what happened like why did you actually decide like to leave the sixth finger away and be like yeah now I'm really showing my resistance to this fucked up government. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So the sixth fact was, once I wrote this text, I used this, this words, inner prude, which is sleeping inside of me, and that there is something which is stopping me to actually show the, the not normal five-finger gesture. I don't know, it's probably education or the way I was raised, or some um, the thing which we spoke about, this way of, of being not really aggressive, and uh, trying to be polite and believing that everyone in society should respect each other and not use certain words and not use cer- certain gestures. So I believe that that was something which was stopping me from using the five-finger gesture. And then the 6 fuck became this: uh, this great opportunity to play around this. But... Uh, I think there was a breaking point during these uh, protests again, and, as I said, once you are in the crowd, you just become more and more brave. there is some courage in it so so that's how i that's how i've lost the sixth finger I think it was just this angry atmosphere all around um, and while I was preparing myself to the protest i I asked my father if he thinks that I can, that I can draw a a five finger fuck, and if it's if it's actually appropriate to do this. My father looked at me like I'm <laughs> completely crazy, and was, he said, "You can do whatever you want. You are a free person, and it's a protest. Like that's that's the language of a protest, and that's how I that's how I drew the the five finger, and I was really." proud of myself in a way and i felt strong and i felt that that's a turning point in a way it might sound naive but uh, but that's just how i felt and i think the the way how we are raised and and the way how we are trying to to be polite and trying to be as nicest as possible just just didn't allow me to to really say what i want to say
0: when when saying
1: we, do you like refer to women, like Polish women? Yeah, I was thinking about it a lot because I think I'm not sure if it's a if it's a gender thing. Of course, I think girls are raised a bit more still in this sense of being polite and taking care of things and not really saying too much. But I really believe that this is changing and i think it might be not a gender thing but also just the matter of a character or mm-hmm. the matter of how you were raised not not because of your gender but because of in which society you were you were raising or how with which people you actually you know hang out so, I'm not sure this. I think it could be the gender thing, it could be also the character of a person.
0: I think, in like the, when I'm thinking about, let's say, my own education, for sure, there, there is this, for me, uh, this part like that the girl should rather be, you know, the mm-hmm. kind of polite and have mm-hmm. good manners. Mm-hmm. Not necessary that I shouldn't like speak about my rights, but mm-hmm. perhaps, yeah, be, be rather like the, the, the softer one. Uh, but for sure, there's also a big part of like respect and like respect the other, especially like respect the older, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. of course also goes into this patriarchal system, but definitely. And yeah, it was interesting that you said that you kind of almost looked for this validation of your father that, and he had to yeah. tell you, "Yeah, can do what you want. You are a free person. And yeah, exactly. I think it's quite beautiful that he almost kind of had to to show you that this Mm -hmm. is your right and you should just go and and fight for it and do what you feel like Mm -hmm. but i honestly think that this is uh, this gender thing is
1: uh, is slowly changing or at least i can see how my friends who have kids how how there is not really a difference between treating girls and boys so this is already a great step forward
0: Definitely, yeah. I, I also see that definitely like with young people, I guess education is a big part. But also, yeah, uh, thinking about the protests where you also took part and as you told me, you drew, finally drew like the real fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting because those protests were actually the, the first ones where people were using those swear words and the words which you would usually not say publicly, right? A lot of swear words are a lot of like we would think inappropriate things uh, Mm -hmm. directed uh, at specific uh, people ruling and at specific parties and of course also at the Catholic Church. And that, uh, yeah, really surprised me, but I also really saw like this strength in it. And I think that also shows that perhaps the generation which is Now fighting is changing as well, you know, as you said that this old school education is changing and perhaps those people who demonstrate don't have this, yeah, this kind of weird Mm -hmm. educational stuff that holds them back from saying what they really want to say.
1: Yeah, um, this of course, (laughs) because of my inner prude, which is still there, it, it probably left for a while, but it's still there. Um, yeah, like using of bad words is they, they are still bad words. It, this did, didn't change. I was thinking a lot how, for instance, parents are explaining what's happening to their kids and how suddenly whole streets are full of bad words. But that's probably completely not a problem in the, in the spectrum of problems which uh, which we need to face. But yeah, I think these protests were also really fresh in a in a formula, which was something completely, maybe not completely new, but there was something really youth in this protest. Like there was this this protest once that uh, DJs came with the equipment, and there was like a techno party blocking the the streets. So people were dancing all around and, of course, with the banners and with the signs. But it all was, I don't want to say happy atmosphere because it's, of course, not not a happy subject. But there was some something really strong and fresh and also giving
0: hope in a way. And yeah, I wasn't there, of course. So I will take the opportunity to ask you <laughs> because, yeah, I'm wondering... And I was observing the protests at the beginning. They were really specific about like the abortion laws, and about women's rights, um, mm-hmm. or women identifying people. But later, it's as you say, it kind of turned into a party. And I think it also went together with the restrictions uh, of COVID that people kind of had to stay home. And suddenly, there was like something going on, and everyone went also very very young people so i'm curious like what was the vibe for you did you still feel like what are you fighting for or did it kind of fluctuate a bit Mm, no i think it was it it was
1: constantly clear what why we are there and what's the what's the point of being there uh, there were, of course, these events of the of the mu- music, uh, like this techno blocking <laughs> of the city. And I think it's it's difficult to like find the right way of protesting. Because, for instance, my father he loved this techno music, which I was completely surprised by. But then my friends, for instance, said that, oh, this is a bit kitsch for me. So there is I think it's really difficult to like to create the protest which or like the ways of protesting which will fit everyone because there is also something something about aesthetics of a protest but I guess the the aim was so so big and everyone was thinking about the same aim and then this doesn't really matter anymore in this social uh, type mm-hmm. of events I mean if, even if you are there just to show off on Instagram you are physically there which makes the, the protest bigger and then your body counts and this is already great of course your intention is maybe different but how how it is seen by by the people or by television or media this doesn't really matter
0: that's true yeah I think it's nice to think of like the body as being kind of part of the group <laughs> yeah 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 hmm yeah i really liked um, what you were saying and that you shared your works uh and as uh, as we discussed kind of like perhaps the alternative ways of expressing uh your resistance and uh, yeah perhaps you would like to share uh something about your future what what you're currently working on yeah so I'm this type of
1: person who doesn't really have plans in general <laughs> which is my big struggle but, but it's also my big uh, happiness <laughs> to be for honest sure. yeah. uh, but for now I am uh, working together with Ivo Borkovic uh, on a project for Malta Festival in Poznan and uh, it will be installation made out of uh, soil we did one project uh, in a similar technique or in the same technique, which we want to use in Portugal r- last year. So that will be in uh, June. Then I go to Portugal for another festival and I will work on, uh, actually, <laughs> on a subject of uh, laundry. That's what uh, is my idea for now. And it it's maybe... Ref- like, reflects on similar issues as Purity is Temporary project. But it will have, uh, of course, different uh, outcome. And it's similar in a way that it also, that I also reflect on uh, feminism and and objects uh, related to, uh, to gender roles.
0: Yeah, so, so that's the staying, plan. staying in this kind of domestic uh, sphere. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes.
1: So that's the that's The plan, plan for today is uh, going to celebrate my dad's birthday. <laughs> ah,
0: great. Happy yeah. birthday to him. <laughs> and so now you live uh, since a few months uh, in Poland, right? After like living quite some years abroad. Yes, I came back. Um, I went to Portugal and then I came back in I believe in September. And is there also some kind of food which, which you enjoy eating now when you're back at home?
1: Yes, so I have this um, this guilty pleasure, which is meat. Um, and I love this uh, roasted meat um, which my mom makes. And the point is that I I don't really buy meat by myself. I think I didn't buy meat since two years, so the only the only time I eat it, it's in my parents' house or it's uh, yeah somewhere in a restaurant or uh, or outside if I am a guest. So this is something which. Uh, which i really celebrate because i do it so rare and it's just uh, delicious. <laughs> I remember that in my bachelor studies i said i said it to my one of my teachers the fact that i love this roasted meat and then she said oh ola you are so baroque. <laughs> <laughs> and i loved this comment. <laughs> but my parents they they also they are also not really meat people so I, it's it's totally fine. We are together in it. <laughs> yeah. And it's this special thing, yeah, that when I'm coming home, it's like mm. is it there for you. So today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But today I think we're gonna eat sweets for the for the birthday.
0: Ah uh, yeah, some uh, cake, like a birthday cake, tort or something. Actually
1: I think
0: cheesecake, which after the roast meat is the
1: second favorite thing at home
0: with raisins or with uh, with
1: like pure pure and I know that this is a huge discussion once we once we had a conversation with my friends which took I believe seriously like 40 minutes about it and then my friend (laughs) said something which I will never forget which was he was on the raisins uh, side. He he really loved the raisins in a in a cheesecake, and he said, "Yeah, but cheesecake without raisins—it's like Malevich painting black square on a white background, but without the square, <laughs> and this painting doesn't make any sense without the square. What's the point? It's the same with cheesecake and raisins."
0: So. What a sophisticated <laughs> comparison. But I'm on the non, non-raisins non team. Me too, I'm with you. Just pure yeah. cheese with no raisins. That's my favorite and made by my grandma. Mm,
1: no, for me, made by mom.
0: <laughs> nice. I think that's a good um, and tasty moment uh, to finalize. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks so much for um, yeah, talking about your work and taking uh your, yeah the day of uh, your dad's birthday to speak to me
1: it was a real pleasure to be <laughs>
0: honest yeah <laughs> and that can wait
1: it's it's all fine
0: <laughs> all right thank you Ola so much and yeah have a good rest of the day
1: thanks a lot it was nice to nice to talk <laughs> thank you
0: thanks This was it for today. Thank you for reaching till the end of this episode. I will see you next time with another great artist and speaker. And as mentioned at the beginning, you can support this podcast via Patreon on patreoncom conversations or alternatively, you can also help me develop this platform by making a one-time donation, following my Instagram account, or leaving a comment on one of the podcast players. All of the needed links are placed in the show notes of this episode. Take good care. Until next time.